The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, Commercial Appeal Sports Columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger Football Beat Writer. Uh, we are coming to you on a Tuesday, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, uh, on the heels of, unfortunately, another Memphis football loss. The Tigers uh, lose their sixth game of the year to Houston, 31-13, this past Friday. And it sets up a uh, as high stakes as it gets when you're 5-6 and six, uh, uh, game against Tulane. Uh, Memphis looking to extend its bolster uh, to eight consecutive years, um, but they're going to have to beat Tulane to do it uh, now that they uh, have dropped below 500 for the first time since 2013. Uh, Evan, you were there in Houston. Um, so today's show, we'll, we'll, we'll recap the Houston game a little bit, but I think it's more important to kind of look ahead to this Saturday at the Liberty Bowl. It's senior day, but it also feels like it's just a it's a big moment for the program in the sense that uh, you know there's a big difference between six and six and five and seven. It just it, you know in perception. The reality is the team is what it is at this point, whether they win or lose. Um, but being able to say you're going bowling um, and getting those extra practices, getting a chance to finish the year above 500, uh, that stuff is emotionally meaningful, both for the players, the coaches, and the the, the fans that are frankly, you know, there's, a, there's some discontent, you know, and rightfully so with how this season has gone. But Evan, um, wanted to get your feelings first on the Houston loss. Uh, it's a game where Memphis was at the start of the fourth quarter within us. It was a one-score game, but... The, the thing I think that was just disheartening ultimately was, you know, it was just like it was one of those games where the better team, you knew who the better team was the entire time, uh, and it was not Memphis. Um, and even though they got within striking distance briefly, it didn't ever really feel like it. You never really felt like, oh, they're going to go win this thing. Um, but but I guess your thoughts on, on how the Houston game played out and uh, what you saw. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to put it is that you watch that game and you had a feeling that, okay, Memphis could at least, you know, put up a good fight. But when Houston scored 21 points in the second quarter, you knew that Houston just was able to kind of exert as well. Now, Memphis, to its credit, they held Houston scoreless in the first quarter and the third quarter. So, again, kudos to the defense for that. But you just had a feeling that Memphis just couldn't get over itself to find a way to put a real scare into Houston that Houston didn't put into its own self. Like that Houston, that third quarter was interesting because Memphis was trailing 21 to three. And then Houston just basically had one, probably two of the weirdest sequences I've seen. They had two personal foul penalties on the same play twice. Uh, Javon Ivory got hit really hard. Uh, they called it for targeting and Dana Holgerson, the Houston coach just, you know, flailing his arms, you know, mad as hell. Uh, he gets flagged for a penalty that pushes it even further, and then Memphis scores a touchdown. And then Memphis, I believe they got the ball at the 40-yard line because on an ensuing kickoff, 
they had two personal foul penalties on Houston. So Memphis had chances, but it just didn't feel like you thought, okay, they're going to find a way to pull this off because Houston's defense was relentless. Um, the offense, again, had just one touchdown, which is the second time this year that's happened. Um, and again, it, it just feels like the Memphis team right now that we're seeing is basically trying. They're not, they're not quitting, I think, but right now, they just didn't have it to beat Houston. And you saw why Houston is ranked. But you also saw why Memphis is 5-6. and six. They just have problems with offense. They had a blocked punt. Um, the defense on third down couldn't get off the field. Um, it, it was just one thing after another. So, yeah, the, the better team was clearly Houston. And now we're going into Saturday wondering which Memphis team is going to show up against Tulane. Well, and that the, the part that, that probably hurts is I thought the game kind of encompassed what Memphis is right now. They're a defense that's, you know, fine, but as you put it, on key third downs, can't get off the field. It's an offense that has a quarterback who, like, Hennigan's stats weren't great, but I thought he played all right in this game. Um, But with Calvin Austin hobbled, um, I know he, you know, he's he's playing – He's playing his ass off, you know, like ultimately uh, he's, he's sacrificing quite, you know, he doesn't have to be playing in these games. He's already been invited to the senior bowl. He's already got a thousand yards, but he's toughing it out for the program. Um, but they're not dynamic offensively. They were two of 14 on third down uh, in this game. As you mentioned, special teams, again, an issue um, have it with the blocked punt. They couldn't run the ball consistently. Um, all the things that availed this team, throughout the season here, really since that 3-0 and start, were, were there again against Houston. And, and I thought the, the thing that probably hurt the most, like Houston didn't even have to play that well to win the game. You know, like that was, that was the part. Where, like it didn't feel like Houston played their best game to beat Memphis. Like they kind of just, you know, did what they needed to do. It, it, frankly, it was a role reversal. Like this, this is what Memphis used to do. You know, mm-hmm. Memphis, they'd, they'd go up against some of these AAC teams and they wouldn't play their best, but you know what? Their best was fine, you know, or not their best was fine. Um, they, they had enough weapons and enough sort of wherewithal to just go and win a game. And that's not where the program's at right now this season. Um, and it sets up a very uh, intriguing situation this week. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> I, I like the word intriguing, Mark. I, I like you said that because there could be other words we could use. Yeah, and so, um, but before we before we talk about the what the potential ramifications are for this Tulane game, both in terms of bowl and beyond, uh, let me tell you about the new sports app we've launched as part of our USA Today family. USA Today Sports Plus is the new sports app that puts the fans first. Get the latest scores, stats, and standings, and more by downloading USA Today Sports Plus. From your app store today, Apple Apple or Google Play, USA Today Sports Plus, fan harder. Um, Memphis fans, Evan, uh, I sense there's some, uh, you know, there's some discontent is, I guess, the best word, great way to put it. People are not used to this anymore in the Memphis football fan base, uh, being five and six and battling for a bowl bid. Um, you know, even though before this seven, eight year stretch, you know, making a bowl was kind of the, 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 uh, sort of the end all be all for this program. Like that's what they str- strive for each year now. And, and I don't think they're wrong. Now it's not good enough, you know, like, and, and 
I found it very interesting yesterday when Ryan Silverfield spoke to the media. He reiterated what he said at the beginning of the season, back when things looked a lot rosier for the program. Um, you know, the bare the 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 stand the bare minimum standard here should be a bowl game, um, which I thought was an interesting thing to say because um, he. I don't know if he's on the hot seat or not. You know, I think there's some fans who who are feel like this season has proven to them that, you know, Ryan Silverfield is not the guy for this job. And um, I, I don't know if, if the, the powers that be, you know, the administration, the boot powerful boosters, whether they feel that way yet. My, my sense is my sense is people still want this to work. But when you say something like Ryan said, that the bare minimum standard is to get make a bowl game. Well, what does that mean if you lose this weekend? Um, and th- that that's what I would. That's why I find this game so intriguing because you see what's happening around the country. How many jobs are open right now? Um, how how you know how fast the coaching carousel is is moving, and it's moving that fast and that quickly around the country because of this early signing period, which is on December fifteenth. And I'm not saying if Ryan loses this game, he's going to lose his job. But I will say this. If he loses this game, it feels like he leaves himself open to losing his job because it would allow it would give Memphis the option to make a move before early sign the early signing period. Whereas you win this game, you go to a bowl, you can, you know, maybe win that bowl. You know, it's probably, you know a lower tier bowl game against another group of five opponent, more than likely you get a chance to win that. I'm not saying you can change the narrative on this season, but it just sounds a lot better to say, you know what? We, we ended the year strong, went to a bowl, finished seven and six. Um, and Oh, by the way, you're continuing to practice through that early signing period. Um, you know, I, I just don't see how this administration could make a move at that point. I mean, I guess they could, um, but it just feels like again. I'm not. I, I am not here reporting that Ryan has to win this game. I just think he'd be wise to because I think losing the game, you're leaving yourself open to that fate, um, and, and that doesn't really address the question of well, if you're thinking about it now, you know what does that mean moving forward? But um, that's the situation we're in, and that's the culture we're in. You know, like some people I'm sure are listening to this going, it's just year two. He went eight and three last year. But like, that's not like, unfortunately, with conference realignment and just the culture of college football these days, uh, you don't get four years to just turn it, you know, to just do your thing. Um, it, it doesn't work like that anymore. There's too much at stake, particularly for Memphis. Like Memphis cannot have another year like this next year. Um and that's not to say Ryan – like, I still think Ryan Silverfield can turn this around because he's got – if he keeps Seth Hennigan in the fold, um, you know, there are lots of things possible if you have a good quarterback. Um, and maybe you get some injury luck next year or whatever. But um, he's put himself with the way, the way the team has performed in a precarious position at the very least, I would say. Yeah, and and, I, and let's bring it back to Houston for one second. Uh, I just I just thought of this right now. My first year here, Houston goes eight and five. Memphis obviously beats Houston, but 
they fire Major Applewhite, who had and they a, fired him before the bowl loss. They were eight and four, and they fired Major Applewhite. Right. So they, he had a 500 record, and they fired him, and they said basically eight wins is not the standard here at Houston. So you see around the AAC that teams have been quick triggered as well as some of these power power five schools. Um, so yeah, I think honestly the pressure is on Memphis to basically not just win this game, but find some some life to keep the the the, the hope around the program because you know as I wrote today, I mean. The stakes are high, not just because of where things are now, but you look ahead to next year. Um, Memphis has a lot of seniors who are graduating. You know, you're going to lose Calvin Austin. You're going to lose Sean Dykes, Jacoby Francis, J.J. Russell, Thomas Pickens, all those guys who kind of helped carry the program into this successful era the last two years. And a win gives you some some hope that, okay, you can be 6-6, six and six, maybe 7-6, and six, and you go on to next year with a little bit of, of optimism. But if you lose – and then you're going to lose all those guys, I would say that you next year has to be a year you have to win. Otherwise, there will be trouble. Yeah. No, and one, I'll be interested, honestly, on senior day on Saturday to see who walks for senior day. Because of how eligibility is right now with the COVID-19 <laughs> exceptions, like I'm pretty sure every guy on this team could technically come back next year. Now, that's not saying all of them will. Um, but technically, according to the rule, I believe most of them can come back. Um, right. now, so some of them can. So I'm looking at the game notes here. 17 Tigers will participate, and they conveniently put in there some of the players participating in the senior day ceremony have eligibility remaining and could return next year. Now, the guys I mentioned pretty much said when they were coming back that this is basically their yeah. last ride. I mean, we know Calvin Austin is not coming back. We know Dykes um, – Jacoby Francis, J.J. Russell, Thomas Pickens, those are fifth-year seniors. Um, but guys like, you know, I'm trying to even look on here. Guys like Rodney Owens, I believe he's a redshirt senior, so he maybe have one more, one more year of eligibility. Um, so we'll see. We'll, we'll definitely see, but I just wanted to throw that out well, there. And, and what's going to be, I mean, we saw last year, I mean, it's going to be an active transfer portal no matter what. Whether whether they had a good year or not, it's going to be an active transfer portal uh, this offseason. But it it, it is – you know, we are at a. It feels like we are at a crossroads in of in the Ryan Silverfield era. In that, you know, like they don't. I wrote this in my column after the ECU game. Like they don't really have an identity right now. Um, they aren't really. What are they? What are they good at? They're not like you know. Like what? What are they good at? Um, and that's something Ryan has to look in the mirror and and ask himself about. And, and frankly, I think it's something the administration has to ask themselves about because I do think this. If you don't think Ryan Silverfield is like can turn it you know if you're not confident he can turn it around you might as well cut bait now like you know you know what I mean like why you don't want to waste another year um and that that that's the tough question that's why people like Laird Veach is you know why they're paid the big bucks um and I'm sure boosters will be involved as well um you know the people who are ultimately going to have to foot the bill if you did get rid of Ryan Silverfield and want to hire a new staff. And, and I just don't know. There's not really an easy answer here because I know there's people who will go, well, just, you know, he can do the, you know, like the easy move, a move typically that would happen with a coach like Ryan that went through a rough year like this would be to just, you know, make a move with your coordinators. And, and here's what I would say. I know the offense has not looked good. And people want, you know, it hasn't not looked like the Memphis offense we've grown accustomed to. But 
I think people need to keep in mind that Kevin Johns is the guy who brought Seth Hennigan to Memphis. Um, and my gut tells me if you get rid of Kevin Johns, you're also likely going to see Seth Hennigan go to the transfer portal. Um, now, that's not to say Seth Hennigan could still go to the transfer portal even with Kevin Johns back, <clears throat> in which case, and, and I think it's, it's an interesting situation in that I do think even though Memphis has Tevin Carter coming in and Grant Gannell coming in, if I'm Memphis, I'm going all in with Seth Hennigan here. Um, I, I think he's shown me enough. Um, and because, and I also think if Seth Hennigan transfers, that's, you know, feels like you're almost starting over again and that's not good. Um, and then when you look at defense, um, that's another interesting thing with Mike McIntyre, the defense hasn't been great, but frankly, both seasons under McIntyre has played better as the years worn on. And if you look at the numbers, it's similar to the defenses they've had in this seven, eight year run. Um, like they're not, it's not, it's not, it's not, and it's not a horrible defense. It's like a mediocre defense, like the, you know, mediocre to bad, I guess is how I would phrase it. Inconsistent. Um, but McIntyre is interesting in that if you get rid of McIntyre, let's say you get rid of McIntyre one, I'm curious who you can get when you're, you know, if in this scenario, Silverfield's coming back. And everyone's going to know, well, this guy's on a short leash, you know, like because if he does come back, he is, as you put it, Evan, facing a season where he is going to have to show noticeable progress, uh, you know, eight wins or more, I would think, in order to 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 keep, you know, give himself a fourth year. Um, and like, who are you actually going to hire? Um, and then the other interesting part of this is Mike McIntyre is the highest paid assistant on this staff at over $400,000 a year. But Memphis has been getting him on the cheap the last two years because Ole Miss is still paying him. Um, like they, Ole Miss is paying like three quarters of that salary right now. Um, and, you know, I think it's a legitimate question. Does Memphis next year, I mean, is Mike McIntyre worth $400,000, $450,000? I, I don't know. Um, he'd be I worth more than he might be worth more than that just because of his price tag. So that's a good question. Like, will they yeah. willing? And to then the other thing is, I think while Memphis fans are down on Mike McIntyre, I suspect he's going to have an opportunity to go be a defensive coordinator on some other staff this offseason with all the coaching changes going on. Um, I, I really do because he's got he's got that you know he's the former he's a former head coach. He's got a good reputation, even though I know some Memphis fans have not been thrilled with the scheme the last couple of years. Um, so it all adds up into a really tricky situation. It's why I think this weekend is so important for Ryan, because I do think there are, you know, there are avenues where you could see this ending after Saturday for Ryan. I, I really do believe that. I don't think, again, I don't think Memphis wants to, to pull the plug. I don't think they want to, but they, you know, there are there are scenarios in play where they might feel forced to because you cannot afford like another year like this if you're Memphis football and you're this and you want you know you're trying to get in the Big Twelve you want to be you know and football is what matters in that and I it's not you know your record isn't the end all be all as you point out Houston you know fired Major Applewhite and yeah they went and made a big splash hire Dana Holgerson. Took him three years, you know. Daniel Holkerson has been not good until this year, um, so it didn't really uh, 
boost the Houston football program till this year, and they still got in the Big 12, even though their team was crappy the last couple of years. But we know Memphis doesn't have some of the things Houston does, whether it's an on-campus stadium, a major media market, um, the you know sort of uh, a bigger alumni base. Um, one super, of Memphis a, a super eager booster in Tillman Fertitta, we should point out. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, Memphis's calling card was that they had a brand, they had an identity, and they were winning a lot in football and. In two, you know, it, Ryan was in a tough spot in that he inherited a program that was as high as it had ever been. It was unrealistic to think he was going to take it higher at that point. Um, there was inevitably going to be some slippage, I think. But I just don't think anyone expected this amount of slippage two years into his tenure. No, and, and let's be honest, like the one thing that, you know, was sold when Ryan got the job was that he could keep things consistent. Like you said, there's no reason to expect this team would win 12 games every year. I mean, I think fans are reasonable, but there was an expectation that this team would be consistent. There would be a sense of keeping this thing going. You bring on the coach who's already on the staff, who players already know. And if you look right now over the last two years, where is that consistency? The offense is no longer what it was. You don't have a lot of players now who are still part of that team. You saw players who transferred out of here who were part of the part of the Norvell era. Um, so you look at all that and you say, has Ryan Silverfield delivered on that promise? And if you're a booster or somebody in the program, you could say, probably not. Just because, again, if you're looking at consistency as the margin, well, what's the consistency right now? Yes, they won eight games last year. But they are at five games right now, and you could even argue that, as you you pointed out, last year had Brady White not had three game-winning drives, they would have won five games. Um, yeah. The other thing is, um, and Houston brought this up, they have not won – they've only won one AAC road game in two years. Uh, yeah. Somebody brought up to us that this year was the first year that they have not won a conference road game since 2010. Now, for those listening, you know that takes us back to the Larry Porter era. Um, I don't think these are at that level yet. But you're seeing things where it's like Ryan Silverfield sold consistency, and that was the message that helped get him the job and helped, you know, usher in this era. Right now, you don't see that. So that's where the worry is, is is this program being consistent or slipping out of control to where if something were to happen Sunday, Saturday, could they make a change? I don't know, but it is not where he said it would be right now. Yeah, no, and well, and I do think though, I, I would say this if he can get if they get to a bowl game, I, I would give him another year to see if he can turn it around. Agreed. Because you know, there you mentioned inconsistency, like they did beat Mississippi State and they did beat SMU, and they do have Seth Hennigan. And I think that's what makes it more frustrating is like, you know, it, it'd be one thing, I think, if the offense was had taken this turn for the worse. And you could go, well, they're starting a true freshman, and he's really inconsistent. Seth Hennigan's been, like, the best thing about the offense, pretty much. Right, besides um, Calvin Austin, yes. Yeah, you know, like, it was. it's like him, Dykes, and Calvin Austin have been the real bright spots on this season. Um, and so it's not because of the true freshman quarterback. It feels like it's because of, you know, whether it's strategy or scheme or execute, whatever it is. It's not because they have a true freshman quarterback. The true freshman quarterback is like the reason for hope here. Um, and then the fact that they have gone out and beaten Mississippi State and beat a ranked SMU team. Like, they have shown some potential. Uh, and they haven't followed through on it. 
Um, and so that's the frustrating part. And so, but I do think when you take it all together, like I, if I was Laird Veach, I'd be thinking the same way I've heard they're thinking. Like they, I don't think they want to make a move on the on the head coaching position, you know, because you're gonna have to pay like three. You know, it's like it's not cheap to fire. You know, it's it's not as it's not as expensive as other coaches. It's not expensive, but it's like three and a half million if you fired him this year, something like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't think they want to pay that because I do think they want to make this work because it's only two years in. Um, and so I, I would be looking at it as, okay, if you win a bowl, if you win, if you win against Tulane, it frankly, I don't think, you know, you're going to a bowl game, which yes, the past seven or eight years is kind of the minimum standard, but historically making a bowl game is, a, you know, is a pretty good barometer for, you know, a successful season at Memphis. Again, historically. Now, I would say I would agree with fans who are listening to this and going, not anymore. I think you're right. Not anymore. You know, not anymore. Just making a bowl game is enough. But I do think it's enough to convince me, okay, let's see what he can do in year three. And you know what? Um, It's a, you know, it's a show noticeable progress or we're moving on type of season. Um, because there's too much at stake. If he loses to Tulane, it would mean they closed the year two and seven. And it would include losing to a bad Tulane team, a bad Temple team. Um, you know, like, and, and, you know, I'd have to seriously question that, you know, like, I know it's weird to put it on one game. I, I frankly would probably give him a, another year, no matter what. I'm not someone who likes firing someone after two years um, because I want, you know, I want to, I want to at least give them the start of next year. Cause we've seen in college football, the trend is now you don't have to wait till the end of the year to fire. Um, I would want to see how the off season goes, I guess is what I would say. Um, but I would not blame anyone if they go five and seven, if they make a move, like if, if you're, if it's the type of thing, if you don't think he's the right guy for the job, you should move on now. It's better to move on now than wait another year because you're just putting yourself another recruiting class, another transfer portal behind the eight ball. Um, but, you know, with the transfer portal, I would say, you know, now Memphis didn't mine it well this year. You know, it, it feels like they lost more than they gained. But with the transfer portal, there is opportunities to improve position groups quickly. You know, like you're not just relying on freshmen. You can, you know, you can try and bring in an offensive lineman to make this O-line better. You can bring in some, you know, secondary guys to help the secondary, which is losing a lot of guys, you know, like that sort of thing. They do have a good recruiting class coming in by the AAC standards. Like, like I hope this podcast isn't painting the picture that it's all hopeless. Like, I, there's, there's some... There are some things that Ryan has done that point to, okay, maybe he deserves another chance. That's, that's all I'm saying. Um, however, I would say there's a lot of things also that point to, eh, maybe you should, you know, maybe this, maybe this job is too big for him. Um, I think you look at both, you can look at it both ways. Yeah. And I think honestly, like that's what, you know, going back to Saturday, like this game coming up, there's a lot riding on it. Like this game is not just about Memphis versus Tulane. It's not just about the matchups on the field. It's basically going to be about 
where is this program going to go? And this game has to pretty much either say the program is staying afloat or it's starting to sink in ways you don't want to see. And so, yeah, there's a lot at stake. And I think the game, honestly, you may watch the game looking to see how Memphis does, what Tulane looks like, but really it's more about the bigger picture. And that's kind of where we are. So, Mark, why don't we do this? Do you even want to talk about, like, this Tulane game? Because I think there are some good storylines that are, are a little bit intriguing here. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Why don't you tell people, like, I mean, this is a team Memphis lost to last year. Um, and Tulane's coming off a 45-14 win over USF, probably their best performance of the year. They got USF's defensive coordinator fired. Uh, but uh, what do you what do you see in this Tulane game? Um, what do you think will be deciding factors, Evan? I think two things two things are interesting, and they're not related to this. Like I could rattle off stats for fun, but I think two things to watch here. One. Tulane's offensive coordinator is a, fam- is a familiar name to Memphis fans, Chip Long, who was an assistant here in 2016 along with Ryan he Seward. The OC, he was the OC here in Norvell's first year. Yeah, yeah. And Ryan Seward. Games, Ryan, correct? What's that? He was at Notre Dame, I believe. Yes, he yeah. was. He was at Notre Dame. So he obviously has a, a history of, of seeing good offenses. Ryan Seward gave us a nice little minute spiel about how far back he and Chip Long go. So – That'll be intriguing to watch. And then, obviously, there's another familiar face on the Tulane defense, uh, JoJo Dorcius, who a lot of Memphis fans will know. Uh, He transferred after last season. Um, He is starting for Tulane. He's one of the transfers from Memphis who is having an impact. And you know he's going to be fired up because, in a way, this is his last game with the Liberty Bowl. So he's going to have some folks here who are probably going to be rooting for him. But he's going to also want to make a statement against some old friends. So I think – those two things are what I'm looking at. Obviously, we can look at, you know, if we want to look at Tulane, obviously, you know, we can look at them having a pretty decent quarterback who took them, who picked them apart last year. We can look at Tulane having a great front that's going to cause pressure on Seth Hennigan. But I think, honestly, the the chip long factor, kind of how this Tulane offense, what they do against this defense, how JoJo Dorcius can have an impact up front. I think that's kind of what I'm looking at that I think people are going to be interested in because let's face it, the the, the fun storylines in this game are more intriguing than if I just pull out my stats here and just say this is where Memphis can win this game. Well, and it is senior day. Like, let's see, can Memphis, like, actually run the ball? You know, can they do some things they haven't been able to do recently? Can they run the ball? Can they Can they, can they stop a team on third down? Like, I think that stuff's important. For, for Ryan, for the program to say, you know what? Like, listen, it didn't go well this year, but look, here's what it can look like. We did, you know, here's what we, we did beat Mississippi State. We did beat SMU. We did, when the, all the chips were on the line, went, go out, win senior day, beat Tulane, and get to another bowl game. We kept that streak alive. I, I just think, I know it's weird to say like a guy's, you know, things hinge on one game. Like, you know, one game shouldn't decide someone's fate. But I think, like, the emotions and the, uh, I guess, perception of what one win could mean here I think is important, particularly because, again, if you make a bowl game, it just it, it's just a lot harder to fire him, to be honest. Because, again, you got to make – I mean, you, I guess you could make a move before the bowl, but – you know, if you lose, you just if you lose and you're Ryan Silverfield, you're allowing people to think about it. You know what I mean? Like that's how I look at it. And I don't know if they will or won't. Um, I know this. He he's on a hot seat, and he like he's on a hot seat whether it's um, an immediate hot seat or 
regardless how this ends, going into next year, he, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to turn this around. Um, and and I think you know, hopefully, maybe it starts with this game where you know maybe this can be a galvanizing thing for the program to where their backs are against the wall. I know it's not a good team they're playing, but they go and get it done uh, and look more like the team they hoped to be this year. Yeah. Um, Let let me throw this in, Mark, since you mentioned kind of some stats. I'll just throw this in just so people can watch. Tulane is a lovely 116th and third down offense, so this is a chance for the defense to get right there. They are 111th in passing defense, which – <clears throat> could favor Seth Hennigan. So if we're looking at areas that Memphis has struggled in, third down, third down defense, and you know, passing the ball, or you know, passing the ball. Now Tulane is 89th in rushing defense. So hey, if Memphis can run the ball, if they can stop Tulane on third down, the numbers say they should be able to do that. So I just want to at least throw that out there to give fans some hope that from what you said, those are things they can attack. Look, you lose this game, you're losing to a really bad team. There's no and there's no way to change those optics. Um, and you're losing to a really bad team at home. I know they beat South Florida 45-14, but they're a 2-9 team, okay? And, uh, you know, so, like I said, uh, if you know, it, things get very uncomfortable if you lose this game. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, I think that's um, a good way to put it. We will be chronicling all the action from the Liberty Bowl uh, on Saturday. We'll also have coverage leading into the game wh- while y'all eat turkey. Um Game is at 6.30 p.m. kickoff, a night game, um, so we shall see. Make sure you're checking CommercialAppeal.com, following Evan on Twitter, at Evan underscore B. We've also got our Memphis Sports Newsletter, which you can sign up for uh, at CommercialAppeal.com. Stay up to date on all the happenings in Memphis sports, Grizzlies, Tigers, high school sports, all that and more. Also, make sure you're checking out our uh, Memphis Sports Instagram page, our Commercial Peel Sports Instagram page, at mem.sports on Instagram. Again, lots of ways to devour all of the content that we have at commercialpeel.com in between devouring all that food over Thanksgiving. Um, so till next time, hopefully we'll be talking about a bowl game next time. Uh, not necessarily, you know, what's the future of the program again. Um, but till next time, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan. Thank you so much and have a happy Thanksgiving. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.